We'll be looking at verses 16, sorry, 17, 18, and 19. Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, as we open up your word now, help us to be people that as we see what your word says, to understand it. May your Holy Spirit open our eyes to see the areas that uh, we need to submit to your will. The areas that, by your grace, that, uh, that as your word confronts us with the sin struggles that men will face and the sin struggles of living in a sinful world, dearly Father, help it to draw our eyes to you. Thank you that your son came and was that perfect man that we can look to for our salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. There are three ways that not only new men respond, but uh, all ladies do when we have a sermon series like this, a two-part sermon series. So we talked about the sin struggles that women will face, and as we talk about the sin struggles that men will face, there's about three different ways to do it. Number one, when, when they hear the issues, when they're uh, struck to the heart, uh, especially in the, in the male world, we have a tendency to go, I'm just a failure, what's the point, and just going to give up. I mean, just one more thing that I failed at, just give you the laundry list of all the other things I failed at, just add one more to it, and so we don't do anything with the failures, we just give it up, or uh, like there's a house that's not too far from where we go, instead of fixing up the car, you let the grass grow so you don't ever long have to look at the car. We just sit there and go, well, just ignore it and just hope it goes away. Another way we can respond to this is we attack the messenger. We go like, well, I don't agree with Tim. I don't, I don't like Tim. I don't like his style, all these other things. And so we'll try to push it aside because we don't like the messenger because the message is triggering our hearts. And so instead of dealing with that, we'll just attack the person that is bringing it. Or third, we see it, we repent, we obey, and we go and live a changed life. And now there's a pit to fall on that side as well. We start to look how pious we are and look how great I am. Um, if any of you wonder, do people wrestle with this in the Christian world, I would say it happens all the time. Because here's what happens. If anybody says, hey, I want to be an accountability group, there's always that guy that never has any problems. You know, the guy that goes, yeah, this week I was just trying too hard. I need to, you know, and whatever. And you're like, okay, whatever. Right? And so we ignore that. Or we can fall into the idea of, look how great I am. And if we're not careful, there's two sides we can fall into. And the response of a believer when confronted with these things should be one of these ways. But I'm going to give you the wrong way how sadly many believers are fond first. So they hear what the Word of God is saying, they see their failure, and they say, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to strive to live up to the commandments of God in my own strength. And as I do this of living up to the commandments of God in my own strength, that will give me and earn me God's favor and forgiveness. And so what happens is God is the one who sits here and goes, here's all the commands. Now, as you obey these commands, I'll like you more. But the problem with that is a total failure to this large concept that we talk about of justification by faith alone. When you are justified, it is your sins have been removed from you and you have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. So our response to this is, I am striving in the strength of the Spirit 
for the purpose of growing up in Christ and reflecting Him more is what we are doing, not because we need to somehow earn God's favor that He's standing there saying, once you obey, then I'll like you. For those of us who have been saved in Christ, His favor is already rests upon us because He sees His Son righteousness, not our own. And it's going to be a wrestle because you're going to be cut to the quick many times. I will be cut to the quick many times. And our, our initial wrestle of all of us as men is pull up the bootstraps, let's go do this thing, we can do it. And all you're doing is patting yourself on the back and saying, what a great man I am. And then you will fail and then you will go, I am an utter failure. And down the pike we go instead of looking to Christ. So let's look at this passage here. The title of the message is, of course, The Curse on Man, found in Genesis 3.17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to the dust you shall return. So what we're going to see here again, a little bit of summary of these last two sermons. The place of fulfillment that God has placed women and the place of fulfillment that God has placed men are roughly two different things that God has given them. A woman's domain, when I think of the word domain, I'm talking about her general interactions. A, husband, a woman's uh, domain is the family slash household, household because she has been given the helper multiplier. And notice last week as we talked about her domain of the household relationships and the family relationships, the sin struggle is going to fall on those relationships. The sin struggle is going to impact those areas as well that she has been given her domain to find her fulfillment. Now as we look at man's domain, and we see that here talking about the field slash workplace, and this is what God had given Adam the idea to tend the garden, the sin struggle is going to fall on him on that same place. And so what we're going to see here is we're going to see because of what the sin issues came and then the sin struggles that men are going to face. So let's look at point number one here in the text, and you see it right off the beginning. God turning to Adam and he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Adam listened to his wife instead of God. It was really clear. Look at the text. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree, which I had commanded you. And in the summary of the commandments, you shall not eat of it. I mean, so literally you have... God commanding Adam was very, very, very clear. There was no, like, vagueness about the command. He even restates it here. In Genesis 1, 16 and 17, he literally says, out of all the trees of the garden you can eat, but this one. And now God reiterating again, just in case, Adam, you're clear on what I very clearly commanded you. The command was, you shall not eat of it. I don't know how many different ways you could put this. All right? God is saying, do not eat of this. And Eve is saying, you may eat of this. All right? This is about as clear as day in front of Adam. But when the time of testing came, Adam here, hearing these two things right in front of him, Adam failed and listened to his wife instead of God. He said, my wife's counsel is better than God's command. And we're going to see here, and I'm going to, I want to develop this a little bit more, we're going to see one of the first sin struggles that men will experience. 
And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that men cannot listen to women. That's not the point that I'm trying to talk, bring about. But I want to just play out what happens in our lives. So a young boy is born into a family. And a mother begins to teach the young boy. And the mother begins to teach the young boy to obey them, which just sounds great on the surface. But if the mother does not teach the young boy that obeying them is because the Word of God has said the child needs to obey. Instead, just saying you obey because mama says. What you're doing is you are then the mom becoming that child's moral compass. And so then that child looks to the mother for his moral compass, not the Word of God. And it goes year after year, month after month, day after day, and then these young men get married. And what have these young men been taught? Listen to their mom, and who's their new mom now? Their wife. And the men start using their wives as moral compasses, not the Word of God. Because as long as mom's happy, everything's okay. And you can watch our downward of society watching over and over and over again. If you were to look sadly across the board, if the wife's okay with it, the husband goes right along with it, whether the Word of God says we should do this or not, happens over and over and over again. Because the word of God is not the standard. What is the standard? The voice of the wife. And so why is what must we fight for? To point our kids and our husbands to who? The word of God, not yourself. Because what we see here in the text is Adam's willful disobedience. Adam's willful disobedience. This is, this is why Romans 5 continually tells us that sin entered in the world through Adam. If you want to call it, this is first-degree rebellion. There is no confusion on what he was doing. He literally willfully did this. And it's interesting when you say he willfully did that, we go back and look at the text in Genesis 2, when the, sorry, Genesis 3, when the sin happened, Eve does not even have to say anything to Adam, nor does Adam say out loud what he's doing. He literally takes the fruit after Eve has eaten it. He, Eve hands it to her husband, and he just takes it. No words are exchanged there on the text. Adam does not say, hey, wait a minute. Eve does not even have to say to her, to him anything else. And notice it says, because you listen to your wife. And even by him just passively accepting the fruit, what is he doing? He is listening to the counsel of his wife, not God. This is where we see this sin struggle that men are going to wrestle with is Adam's passivity. The word passivity means to be passive, is to abstain from resistance and yield to external influences. You are literally sitting there doing nothing, and in doing nothing, you are doing everything by sitting there passively sitting back and doing nothing, which is something. Adam's rejection of his God-given role is here as well. Adam had been given, as we have said before, we've gone over this in Ephesians 5, it says that the husband is the head of the wife. It doesn't say the husband ought to be. I will say this over and over and over again. It says, literally by husband comes inescapable leadership. And Adam setting the tone here, the tone that he is setting is, I will follow Eve, not God. And as he starts to set up the tone for his family, he is in a way allowing Eve to try to set up a tone by him being the one who sets the tone to allow her to set the tone. So even though Eve seems to be setting the tone, she is not setting the tone because Adam has set the tone that she can set the tone. And I know that sounds like a lot of double talk, but it's going on here because what is happening here is this. Eve listens to the serpent. Adam listens to his wife, but no one is listening to the voice of God. No one, when the command came down, this is where you're to. Everybody's listening to all the other voices in this world, but the word of God is ignored. 
and the word of God being ignored to its own peril. Literally, look at the text again in verse 17. Have I not commanded you this? This is what I've commanded you. You shall not eat of it. It's a simple, but we see this all the time. Every single one of us thinks, well, I can reinterpret that. I can do whatever. Literally, the words are what the words say, and they have rebelled against Almighty God, and now the consequence is going to fall. Adam, instead of listening to God, his creator, he listened to his helper, and his helper did not help him because he was looking for a helper that was not pointing him to God. He was looking at a helper that would give him what he wanted to hear. So what we see here in point two Notice what the text goes on. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Point number two is Adam's work now, which was supposed to be a place of fulfillment, is now going to be painful and the ground is going to be cursed. Literally, the ground is cursed. Adam's work will be hard. And how long is it going to be hard? It goes on to say, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, instead of a man's world to be one where he found fulfillment in work, man's life is going to be one of hard work. Man's life is going to be one of hard work. Now, we live in a very unique time. Before the Industrial Revolution, before the inventions that we have today, most of human history has been a constant battle for daily food. You look back through your history classes when you study them and you will see that literally the work that they did that day, they got enough food for that day and that's all they had. They ate that day, they went to sleep and usually they went to sleep early because their bellies were hungry, getting ready up to fight the next day. We get a glimpse of this when all of you are watching all these survival shows. What are they continually doing in the survival shows the whole time? Finding food. And everybody's in a continual state of starvation, even in our modern society here when we watch all of that. That was the plight of humanity long before we did this. Because even if you look at the money that is spent now, people have run the statistics. At one time, 90% or 94%, between 90 and 94%, all of the money someone earned was to get enough food to function for that next day and for the winter. Now they say we spend about less than about 6% on our own daily food because of how much stuff is all in front of us. And so what happens when we deal with this idea of work and painful work and hard work? By the way, I want to make sure we're clear on this. All work is in view, not just farming and agriculture, all work. All of the expending of energy to get through life for another day is in view here. And what is our role to get up and just do it what? Again. We fix something just for it to break again. We go, we cut down this tree just for another one to come up that's going to mean he cut down. You can just start listing it. One after another after another. It's a continual work. And I want to encourage you with Ecclesiastes. So turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. These are the great words of encouragement from Solomon. I'm saying that sarcastically. To remind you of your plight. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, here's what he says. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, so here's what he's saying before we get to that. So we have a guy, incredible knowledge, incredible wisdom, incredible skill. They are phenomenal at what they do. And as they're doing this, they're bringing in wealth, they're bringing in money, they're bringing in all of these other things, and they're working really, really hard. And what are they going to do? 
What must they do when the time comes for them to die? They must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What is a man for all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all of his days are filled with sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not find rest. All is vanity, and we work really, really, really hard to go to do what? Where we live now, there was a barn that a guy worked really, really, really hard, milking cows all the time, over and over and over and over again. And guess where that barn is now? It is gone. There's a pond there. And that man worked really, really hard, and generation after generation, a farmer working really, really hard on fields that we knock down and we plant a house in it, and no one remembers how hard he took, how long it, how that field had gotten, all the weeds he had pulled, all those other things are just forgotten. My grandfather, he was a poultry farmer, and he worked really, really hard. Guess where all of his money is right now? Spread out amongst his kids, and it's probably all been spent, and they have no idea the toil and sorrow that he worked in, how he stressed about all of that and was left for somebody else. Now, the Christian response is not to go in your corner and go, I'm not getting up to work tomorrow, because all I'm going to do is work for somebody. The Christian response is, God is the one who's given me all these things, and as these things come in, I am generous and freely giving it to others because God is the one who gave me the strength to do all of this. Because if you really think about it for a moment, you're going to work really, really, really hard, and you're going to die in your work, and everybody else is going to get it. Instead, we're saying, what are the resources God has given us for the furthering of his kingdom? Totally different two worldviews. That is why I, it is amazing. Allow the secular worldview to press on people. Go ahead, pursue it. And they're going to find no pleasure there whatsoever. You don't even have to convince them that there's no pleasure there. Just to go, let's go through this. You little penny pinchers here that are pinching every penny to do what? So you die with more money in your bank account? Did you win? No, you didn't take it with you and everybody else is going to squander it. The vanity of life. Back to our text in Genesis chapter 3. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Notice what comes next in verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. This should immediately pause and go, this is not garden living. What was the ground going to bring in the garden? Fruit and food that you could eat all the time. The ground is cursed. So now thorns and thistles will naturally grow. You plow a field and you don't plant anything there. Guess what will be planted? No one has to sow thorns and thistles. All right, the weeds come naturally. If you're a bad gardener, you're really good at growing one thing. It's weeds, all right? You don't even have to, no skill for that. You just let it grow, and now what does the ground produce? It doesn't produce tomato plants by itself. It produces the weeds and the thistles that you will battle. And then, not only that, but these thorns and thistles we battle, one of the ways we do war with them is we spread chemicals on them, and then we ingest the chemicals, and our body reacts to these chemicals, and we're left in this vicious nonstop cycle of the battle against the ground, and even in our battle against the ground, we're impacting our own lives from all of the pollution and everything else that goes on, and we think we're winning. And you go, did you win anything in that? Hey, no more weeds, but let me take a drink of the running water off of that plant. And you're like, well, maybe that's going to kill me if this doesn't kill me. Not only that, but notice the text goes on. In verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. This idea of work and sweat. Now, it's interesting here, even when we think of the idea of hard work and sweat, 
This work that you're going to do is going to be so energy producing that you're literally your body temperature will rise. But God in his grace, what has he done? He's put in our bodies the ability to cool ourselves down so you can continue to keep on working. If you want to call it a small inkling of God's grace in our own lives, it's the sheer fact that your body has the ability to cool itself down as you work. And there's nothing more beautiful than a breeze coming through when you're sweating, when you feel the cool and it cools you down for you to say, thank you, Lord, that you're at least giving us an opportunity for this. So when all of you kids complain about sweating, you should actually be thanking that God gave the ability to sweat because you know how your life would be. All right. But most of us think the moment that we start sweating, we need to stop working. All right, that's God's way of saying, wait a minute, you just got to the point where you were working hard enough to be cooled down. It's interesting, some may say, but Tim, you don't understand, I'm retired. And I don't work anymore. Let me just throw that out for those of you retired. You're right, you don't work anymore, but someone else has to work now double to provide enough food for themselves and for you, and you'll pay them the food. But work continues. Work isn't something we can't run from. Not only that, in 1 Timothy 5.8, when Paul is speaking to the men, he said, a man who does not work is the same as an unbeliever, a man who is rebelling against God, a man who cannot take care of his family. I've run into a couple of guys in my own life who said that verse keeps them up at night. When I don't, am I providing for my family or am I not? Now, I want to help us remember that work is not part of the curse. The toil and sweat and struggle in work is part of the curse. Let's make sure we're clear on that. All right, so when you wake up Monday morning and you have to go to work, or this afternoon when you have to go to work, going to work is not part of the curse. What is part of the curse is the toil and the struggle that is there. All right, like picking on my, on my own son, one of the jobs he has to do is throw some straw bales over a ledge, all right? Having to throw a straw bear over the ledge is not a result of the curse. The wonderful wind that blows down all over the back of your back and gets into your sweatshirt and everything else, we'll call that part of the curse. But the, the idea that we have to work is not curse. Hard work and toil and struggle. And so what is going to be the sin struggle? Man fighting for the, for the soil to get food, this battle sin struggle. What does the sin struggle look like? Man is going to want to use excuses to hide behind his responsibilities. And so work that was supposed to bring fulfillment, what the sin struggle can start to play out in men is men will find that work is an escape from my responsibilities, my true responsibilities that are needed. Because it is easier to go to work than to be the father that is needed or the husband that is needed. We'll talk more about that later. Let's look at verse 19 here, point number three. Not only is the sweat of your face and your brow going to be soiled, but you are dust, and you will return to that dust. Verse 19. For you, are till, you will till the ground, and you will be returning to it. For you are dust, and dust you shall return. The king of the earth. God said to man, you will have dominion over this earth. You will have dominion over the plants. You have dominion all of that. Now, if you want to call it the king of the earth, is now going to be battling with the earth just to survive. The one who, as he would walk through the garden, tending the garden, literally just picking fruit out of the garden, now he will toil on it. And literally what we see here is the picture of man fighting with himself. The ground that he came out of, this is man against the ground. And he's going to fight over them, toiling over this, and he will eventually lose the battle and die and become part of it again. 
the temptation, you want to be God? You want to be like the Most High? You will not be. What does God say to him? You're not going to be like God. You're going to be like the dirt from which you came. You will be bent over it. You will become dust. You will toil over the rest of your life. Adam, you will, in a, in a, it's, it's, it's almost like the text is saying you're in a constant state of being bent over, fighting with the ground. The serpent is eating the dust, and Adam will fight the dust until he returns to the dust. And this toil and this struggle literally kills men faster than women. The average man dies five years sooner than a lady does because literally the work that was supposed to bring fulfillment is the thing that is going to break his body down and destroy him until he returns to the dirt. So all that being said, this is what the text is telling us. I want to walk through. There's four sin struggles that just come screaming out of this, a generation after generation of sons of Adam living in a sinful world that we have started to see. And so the four sin struggles we're going to talk about that come from this text and come from the creation narrative is that men are going to decide it is better to be passive than lead. Passivity instead of leadership is going to be the natural sin struggle of men. That if men can sit back and say, I'm going to let someone else lead instead of me, they're going to think that's what's going to solve the problem. It does not take any skill to be passive. But it's going to come naturally. It's going to be something as men we must do battle with on a daily basis because our own sin nature is going to be one of blaming others and being passive, which leads us to to be there is because we would rather listen to other voices other than God. We would rather listen to another voice other than God. So we hear the call of pleasure. We hear the call of power. You can have it all. You can have this. And we listen to all of these voices other than God. And where we're going to spend a little bit of time right now, we like to take shortcuts to fulfillment. We want to take shortcuts to fulfillment. So what we want to do, instead of leading our families well, and setting a tone that sets it well, what what we've found is... If we're passive, the wife in her natural sin struggle will start leading and lead in a way that is not fulfilling to her, that only causes you more grief as the guy because you know you're not doing your God-given role. She knows she's, you're not doing her, your God-given role, and it creates tension in the home. And men then go, well, listen, then I'm just going to step back and allow the, the minivan of life to drive down the road. And I found it's easier to sit in the passenger seat so when the van runs off the road, it's her fault. And we have no idea that God said, it is you, young man, that I'm holding accountable for this. Not only that, do we listen to the voices of pleasure? We would like to take shortcuts of, for fulfillment. We will find that that shortcut of passivity is only heartache and sorrow wherever we go. The other shortcut... To this as well is the idea that we can have all of the pleasure the world offers us without the commitment. And so what we have is young man after young man after young man because we live in a society right now that literally says, you young men, just because you have the ability to procreate, you can procreate with whoever we want and the government will step in and take over. And the government will be the dad. And we've seen how well that works. Not only that, do we say to these young men, through the internet and through everything else, you can have the joy of it all. You can have the joy of the pleasures of marriage and all of the joy that comes with marriage and all of the pleasure that is there enraptured in your wife and who she is. You can have all of that without the commitment and the covenant of a marriage. 
And so go online, see all what you want to see. You can have the pleasure of it all without having the commitment that it takes for that. And what we have is a group of men who are addicted to so many of these other things. It's the reason why violent games and everything else are so addicting. Because you can have the pleasure of the battle. You can have the adrenaline rush of all of that without the consequence of it. And us as men, we just line up like a bunch of cows to the slaughter and no one says, hey, did you see what happened to the guy in front of you? Like a bunch of beef cows on the way there, and you go, did anybody hear the blood-curdling moo? And we're like, nope, next in line, here we go. And we do this day after day, year after year, because we do not realize that these shortcuts are only the shortcut of death. And sadly, then, we use our strength in this world to exploit others, not taking responsibility for what we have. We exploit others. Instead of stepping up and taking responsibility for our actions, instead of leading in such a way that is God-honoring and respectful, we exploit others. We follow what Adam did in the, in the fall, and Adam says, it's the woman that you gave me, it was her fault. All right, let's be honest, all of our marriages would be fixed if our wives would just get in line and understand their role. I mean, let's be honest, if we, you think this way. All right, we don't accept responsibility, and so all of a sudden we come home, and here's how it plays out. So, as a man, we come home into our own little castle, and as we're about ready to enter the house, here's how we think I've been in a long day of work, and all of my, my kids and everything in there, and the moment I get home from this long day of work, I deserve, and we start filling in. I deserve to get home and to be able to do whatever I want to do. I deserve, and we start listing all the things as men we expect. We expect in our minds as we enter into our home that I'll be able to kick back and relax for a while, and everybody else is now going to serve me instead of me serving. And before you know it, our lives become all about us, and all of a sudden we get home instead of realizing here is the next part of what God has given to you. We start to think that I am now home, and I deserve it all. I deserve to be treated like a king. And I would say, have we looked at our own king, Christ, and how, what he did? He did not come to be served, but to what? Serve his family. Serve his people. This is why Adam is going to fail us over and over and over again. Us as sons of Adam, we are going to struggle with these things. That is why we must look to the true and final Adam, where Christ, when he came to earth, he came to do the work, literally the work the Father had given him. This idea, I will not go through this place because the Father said I must go this way. When he was up in the Canaan area, Galilee, very shortly to the end of his life, it literally says in Mark that he turned his face towards Jerusalem because that was the work that God had given him to do. When he was tested, Adam failed in the garden. Christ stood in the desert in a time where there wasn't food around him. He had gone 40 days without eating. He stood the test and pointed us to Christ and the Word of God. He took bread, the thing that we're going to toil and sweat over. What did he do? He took bread and he broke it and literally made bread for others, showing them that he is the one that we get all things from. He healed the sick, and not only that, he took on death and defeated it. What the first Adam brought into the world, Christ took on death, and not only did he take on death, he defeated it by raising again. That is why we must look to him. We must look to the courage of what Christ had as the ultimate man. You cannot look at yourself. You cannot look at the first Adam. You cannot look at any of Adam's descendants but Christ and Christ alone. So what did we learn today? What is the call given to us as men? I like this word fortitude. This word fortitude stands with the idea of firmness, strength of soul that faces danger 
with courage and bears loss and pain without complaint. I'll say it again. We need to have men of fortitude just like Christ. So fortitude means firmness, strength of soul that faces danger with courage and bears loss and pain without complaint. That is what Christ did on the cross. That is what Christ did when he was down here on earth. He stood for the truth. So what does a man of God look? A man of God are protectors. They're purifiers. They love their wives. They love their kids. And they do whatever it takes to reduce evil in society and stand for what is right. If you want to know what true manliness is, you can see it in Christ. I think of the word courage. Christ stand for truth. He stood for it with conviction and He stood with courage. We have the table in front of us because we had the perfect man come. And He accepted responsibility. He led with courage. There's a prayer that in the early 1900s, it was called the Cadet Prayer. It's a prayer that I want to just leave this ringing in our ears. It was a prayer that starts off with Almighty Father, and this is just a little section of it. And this is the prayer that I pray for us as men that we would take to heart. Following Christ. Christ is our example that we would have these things ringing in our ears. It goes like this. Make us choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. And never be content with a half-truth when the whole truth can be won. Endow us with courage that is born of loyalty to all that is noble and worthy, that scorns to compromise with vice and injustice, and knows no fear when truth and right are in jeopardy. Christ led by example. He gave his body and blood that we might be redeemed. The challenge for men is great, but through the Holy Spirit and through the example of Christ, we can overcome. But I'll be honest with you, it is easier to choose the easier wrong than the harder right. We know it as men. I mean, just like Adam didn't sit there and go, I wonder what God had said. All right, it's pretty clear what God has called us to do as men. The question is, are we going to follow our exam- Christ our example? Like Joshua stood in front of the Israelites and said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But I just want to let you know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He did not do that to get a pat on his back. He did it because... There was no other choice. When we are men of courage, we will choose what is right. Now, I want to let you know, you will walk out of here and you're going, I'm going to choose the greater right, and by probably noon, you will have failed. All right, and you'll go, oh, here we go, I failed again, what's the point of trying? That is why we remind ourselves continually that the Christian walk is one of continual repentance, looking unto Christ. Because as ladies, if you tried this last week to do what the Word of God was calling you to do, I'm sure you have failed multiple times and will fail again. And as guys, we will fail multiple times, but we do not lay down and just say it is not worth it because the Gospel tells us that, yes, you are a sinner, but you are saved by grace. And as you wrestle with these things, 
my prayer is that you look to Christ as your example and not look to yourself because you will fail. But Christ has not and he has overcome. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, as we're about ready to take the communion table, dear Holy Father, give us a better understanding of your sacrifice that you made, how you led with courage all the way to the point of death and the death on the cross. And that because you died the perfect death, the Father said, rise again. And you defeated death. Help us to see it in all of its fullness today. In your Son's name we pray, amen.